0: The reading today is taken from John 14 verses 1 to 14. I'm not sure what page it is but um, I will do it correctly. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, probably one of the most read verses in the Bible. I am the way in me, but at on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I do. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And if you ask, ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Amen.
1: John chapter 14 is a passage that we're looking at. It would be wonderful if you had a Bible open because we're going to be uh, pointing out a few things from quite a few verses in that passage. John chapter 14. And we'll be before we look at this together. Father, thank you that you have made yourself known through Jesus and through your word. And we thank you that we have your spirit in us to enable us to understand what your word says and for it to take root in our lives. And we praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago in Scotland, the parish minister. Can you turn that down a little bit, David? I, I, I'm feeling like I don't want to hear my voice at the moment. <laughs> um, the parish sister in Scotland used to visit the local schools to ensure that the religious education was taking place correctly. And the story goes about one visit the minister made to a school. For their religious education, the class had memorised the Apostle's Creed. And each child had learned their own line, and they were to recite that line one after the other, and 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 recite the entire Apostles' Creed. So the day came, uh, the visiting minister arrived to to school, and the children all sat ready to deliver their lines. And it began pretty confidently. The first child stood up and said, "I believe in God the Father Almighty," and they sat back down. Second child stood up, "Maker of heaven and earth," and sat down. It was going like clockwork, until it got to that bit in the Creed where it says, "I believe in the." Holy Spirit. And there was just silence. And then the silence was finally broken by a timid child who stood up and said, please sir, the boy who believes in the Holy Spirit is absent today. (laughs) The person work of Holy Spirit is something that I think lots of Christians struggle with. Struggle to understand it, struggle to explain it. I mean, that's the case with the whole idea of the Trinity, isn't it? How is it that you can have one God who reveals himself as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all at the same time? How can the three be one, and how can all of them be God? I mean, it's not an easy thing to understand, and it's not an easy thing to explain, but it is what the Bible says. And that's exactly what we hear Jesus explaining to his disciples in this passage that we're looking at this morning. John chapter 14 opens up with these words. First verse there, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, in some ways, this is the issue that's at the heart of this chapter. The disciples are worried. They're confused. They're troubled by what Jesus has been saying. So what was it that he said? Well, flip back to Chapter 13 and verse 33, Jesus has announced to them that he's going to be leaving. Verse 33 of chapter 13, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. He's going away and they can't go with him. Now, don't underestimate the impact of what Jesus has just said here. Try to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. They have spent three years with Jesus. They have trusted him. They have believed him. They have been so committed to him that they've left behind everything, family and jobs, in order to follow Jesus, in order to spend that time with him. And now, He says he's going away. They have spent the last three years of their life, they have invested that in learning from Jesus. And now he says he's going and they can't come. It's not hard to see why they would be upset at that idea or at the very least confused by what Jesus is saying. Jesus does two things in this passage. He reassures them about their ultimate future, and he reassures them about the present. One of the great ironies for me right through this Upper Room Discourse is that Jesus is the one doing the comforting and the reassuring. In just a few hours after he says these words, he's going to be nailed to a cross, and he knows that's what's going to happen. But here he is... Wanting to reassure and comfort the disciples at what they think is a difficult time. Well, Jesus' first reassurance is about their future. He said to them that He is returning to the Father. So the disciples are obviously wondering, okay, well, that's great, but where does that leave us? So look at what what Jesus says there, verse number two of chapter 14. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. He reassures them that there will be a place for them with the Father. This may sound a little crass, but I think he's saying there's going to be plenty of room in heaven for everyone. The day will come when Jesus will take those who have trusted in him, those who are his disciples, will go to be with him forever. These are probably some of the most cherished verses in the entire Bible. Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place. remember someone telling me that when they learned this verse as a child, they kind of had this idea that Jesus had to Get the tools out and put an extension onto heaven. Get a place ready for the room. wasn't a room. just go on ahead and do a little bit of work. That and Knock up a renovation, kind of a guest bedroom for you in heaven. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Look at verse 2. It says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going to prepare a place for you. Now, the NIV actually adds to the confusion of this passage because it doesn't actually say, I am going there to prepare a place for you. Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. The there isn't there in the Greek. And the way Jesus prepares a place for us is not by building, not by laying out towels or fluffing up the pillows. He prepares a place for us by dying on the cross. He prepared a place for us by making it possible for us to be forgiven by God, made right with God. So Jesus reassures them about this, about their long-term future. He says, look, I may be leaving now, but I'm leaving to make it possible for you to be with me forever. And I'm doing that through my death on the cross. In fact, that's why he's leaving now. He's going to the cross so that they can have a place with him. What Jesus said goes part of the way to reassuring them, but then have a look at what Philip says in verse number 8. Philip suggests that there's one thing that Jesus could do that would really reassure them in the present. So Philip asked this, verse number eight. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. I think what he's saying is, if we could just see God, if he'd reveal himself to us, then we'd have no trouble believing what you're saying. But I bet Philip wasn't expecting the answer that Jesus gives him. Philip's question is, can you show us the Father? And Jesus' answer is, you've seen him. John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Sometimes there's no denying family resemblances and some families have them a little stronger than others. I can remember going up to the primary school when Ben was in kindergarten to meet his new teacher at the, at the school and I'd arrived at school, I'd never met his teacher before, uh, walking through the playground, they came over to me and said, you must be Ben's dad and I wasn't quite sure how I could have a name tag or anything on, but I was identified because of this family resemblance. Ben looks a lot like his father. But Jesus isn't talking about family resemblances here. He's not saying he and the father are really similar. He's not saying that they share a few characteristics together. Jesus is saying that he and the father are one. And he doesn't just say it once. Jesus claims this number. times in this passage. Have a look at a couple of verses. Verse 7 of chapter 14. If you know me, you know the Father. Verse 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Verse 10. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Again, in verse 10, the Father is living in me. Verse 11. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The connection between Jesus and the Father goes right down to the work that he does and the words that he speaks. Have a look at verse 10 of chapter 14. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Now, this is a lot for the disciples to get their head around. I mean, let's be honest, it's a lot for us to get our head around. They probably understood that Jesus had come from God. They kind of seemed to be pretty convinced that he was the Messiah, the Saviour God was going to send into the world. But now Jesus is saying that he is God. Want to see God, Philip? You're looking right at him, Jesus says. You've been with me for the last three years. But then Jesus adds one more dimension. Again, to reassure his disciples, Jesus says that he and the the Father are going to come and indwell the disciples, live in them. Again, this is a tough thing for them to understand, so Jesus steps them through it very gently. Have a look there in verse 15, chapter 14, verse 15. "'If you love me, keep my commands.'" And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. It's interesting that Jesus says another advocate. I think the first advocate that they had was Jesus. I mean, advocate in this context here, that word means literally the one who's been called alongside and Jesus is saying it that he has acted in that role. He has been the one who has stood beside them as their advocate. But now it will be the Holy Spirit who will be with them, who will be that advocate. Jesus says three things in the passage that are sort of a bit contradictory. He says the Spirit will dwell with them, verse 16. He says that he, Jesus himself, will dwell with them, verse 18. And then he says in verse 23 that it will be the Father who will dwell with them. Have a look at those verses. Verse 16 first. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. And then verse 18 I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Now he's not saying three different contradictory things. He's just saying one thing. Jesus is leaving and may no longer be physically present with them. But far from leaving them, he's now going to be present with them in an even better way. God's spirit will be with all those who trust in Jesus. Now again, I don't want to suggest that this is all crystal clear. This had the early church confused for decades, if not centuries. The major creeds that they wrote right at the beginnings of the early church were all an attempt to explain the Trinity. They knew that it was what the Bible said, but they just couldn't quite think of the words to explain it. The majority of the first heresies that the church had to deal with were serious misunderstandings about the Trinity. But in the end... To get to the heart of this passage, you just need to ask one simple question. Why did Jesus say all of this? And the one simple question has one simple answer. He wanted to comfort and reassure his disciples about their ultimate future and the present. And if you had to sum up what Jesus is saying here, this is it. There is a home for you in heaven, and one day I will take you to be with me there. But until then, my Father and I will make our home with you by the Holy Spirit. We will be with you by the Spirit until you come to be with us. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples, isn't it? And that extraordinary promise still stands for us today. Go back to verse 23. Did you see what Jesus said? If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with them. Anyone who loves Jesus anyone who trusts him, anyone who lives as a disciple of Jesus, is promised that God dwells in them by the Holy Spirit. So there are two things from this that we should never fear, two things that should give us great encouragement in our Christian lives. First one is this, when this life is over, we share eternity with Jesus if we have our trust in him. Like the disciples every single one of us has to face those times of uncertainty in this life. Those times when we really don't know what life holds for us. But we can be certain about where we will be In the ultimate future, we may not be certain about where we will be in 12 months from now, but we can be certain that Jesus has prepared a place for us through his death on the cross for all those who trust in him. And the second encouragement is this. No matter where you go in this life, if your trust is in Jesus, then God indwells you by the Holy Spirit to comfort to reassure, to guide, and to teach. If you have your trust in Jesus, you're not alone. You're not an orphan. God is with us to comfort us, to give us peace, to assure us that we are his people, and to assure us that our future is secure. Millie's going to pray for us.
2: Thanks Luke. I'm joining you again in prayer. Lord, thanks for being a loving, gracious and merciful father. Thank you that you've revealed your plan for humanity to us and that it's a plan of hope and restoration. Lord, especially this morning, we want to thank you that in a world of questions like who am I, why am I here and where am I going, we have answers and assurance. Thank you that Jesus said so clearly that if we trust in him, we get to be with him forever. Please let the peace and assurance that flows from trusting Jesus continue to change our hearts and help us to be witnesses to your love and grace. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit and for being present with us even after Jesus' death. We pray that as struggles come and issues arise, we would be characterized by our steadfast hope and understanding of who we are in you and where we are headed with you. Do not let our hearts be troubled and remind us that we do not need to be afraid. Lord, this morning we also pray especially for Nancy in her recent loss of her husband Jim. We thank you so much for Nancy and for her faithful witness to Jim. Please put kind and supportive people around Nancy at this time and help us as her church family to love and support her. Lord, please continue to reassure Nancy through your spirit of the peace that she has with you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.